Philippians chapter 2. Well, as we come to the text this morning, um, I think what you get to enjoy and see in the text this morning is really a example, not just of what we have just been talking about, how um, how we can be a good example uh, before the watching world, before uh, before the city government, our fellow citizens in the city of Berkeley, as we seek to reopen our church, um, because there that that is a goal. That is something that we want to do. We want to represent Christ well. We want to operate with His character. We want to be a people who are um, who are obeying Him and and walking with Him. And we don't want people to say those Christians weren't very much like like Christ. Uh, we want them to have the the understanding that we are trying to reflect His character. We are trying to be like Him. We are trying to um, say they are acting as Jesus acted, right? And, and so uh, that's something that drives us. That's our hope. That's what we want to be before the world. That's what we want to be before each other as we help each other grow in faith, as we encourage one another. Um, and in the text this morning, this is kind of what we see. Paul gives the example of two men who have been with him on his journey, who have helped him along the way in ways that they have been Christ-like, that they have taken up this cause and what they have done. And and in doing so, what he's doing is really um, demonstrating that not only have these people been faithful to help his mission, have they been great assistance to him, but they've also further demonstrated that this is what it is to be Christ-like, to have the mind of Christ that he was laying out here uh, in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, um, that uh, this is what it looks like to consider one another and to, um, to come alongside one another as he speaks to in 12 through um, 18. And so as we come to the text this morning, he begins to give us these two men, um, Timothy and Epaphroditus as examples. And we are to take from this that these are ways that we also ought to uh, act, that they are people to inspire us and to look to in the community. You know, this is something that, um, this is the reason why we pick up um, stories, narratives that speak to uh, the, the effort, the achievements of other individuals. Right, uh, we we pick up biographies or we watch movies that are true stories about uh, about these individuals because it gives us the inspiration to say, you know, I can do that. I want to do that. And here, Paul puts these two men before uh, the Philippian church to give them examples of practically working through these things. And so here's how he opens it up in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus, to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. So Paul opens up with those very similar words that he uses again and again and again. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Uh, I I think what you want to see here, before we get to Timothy, is that Paul, in the midst of his hardship and in the midst of his difficulty, he is still letting all of his plans, all of his life, 
be dictated by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's receiving direction from the Lord. He submits his plans to the Lord uh, that Jesus would lead him. He depends on Jesus to have these plans come to fruition, right? The book of James tells us, don't say that you're going to go to like such and such a city. You should say, today, if the Lord wills, I will go to such and such a city. I will ask and seek and, and ask that he would direct, right? And this is what Paul's demonstrating here, that he hopes in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon. Later in verse 24, he can hope in the Lord because he trusts in the Lord's plans. He trusts that the Lord is at work and he trusts that he will also be there, right? So he sees that it's Jesus who's directing him. He says, I hope in the Lord to send uh, Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. So he wants to send Timothy for a purpose. Uh, and he says that the result of Timothy going is that he will be cheered by news of the Philippian church, that he will hear what's happening. Timothy will go there. He will get the report. He will um, begin to understand what's happening in the Philippian church and that he will come back and Paul will be made glad. He will, he will be emboldened. He will be encouraged by this report that Timothy brings back. And so he's, he's sharing this with the Philippian church, but this is kind of like a twofold thing that's happening here. He's saying, one, I'm going to send you this guy, Timothy. And the result of him coming back is that I'm going to be encouraged. I'm going to be cheered. But what he's also saying there by saying, here's what I expect to find, is that um, Philippian church, you better get things in order. If you have been exhibiting these signs of disunity, if you've been scattered, this is your opportunity to present this united front, to obey his words. Because if I'm coming, if Timothy's coming and he's going to get there, I want him to come back with good news. I want him to come back. And so in a sense, He's also giving them the, kind of this low-level accountability. He's bringing this out before them. Like, hey, I'm, he's coming, and I expect him to come back and to bring this just, um, encouraging news, not discouraging news. I don't want to be discouraged by your disunity, but I want to be built up. I want to be encouraged by the fact that you are obeying. So he sends Timothy, uh, verse 20, and he says there's a reason why he's sending him, right? For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. He's got no one like him. I mean, that is a, a statement that Paul makes uh, that he says, Timothy is my most trusted man. He is someone who we see eye to eye, right? The, the phrase there that I have no one like him, it actually works out to be he's an equal soul. That's kind of like the translation there. I have, I have someone here of equal soul. He is concerned uh, in the same way that I am concerned. Or as Paul is making this case, it might be accurate to say, and maybe what he's trying to emphasize here is we have the same mind. If we have the equal soul, we care about the same things. We have the same mind. We are of one accord. We're, we are standing side by side in the faith, uh, and we are knit together here. And so we have the same uh, plan, the same focus, the same execution. Uh, and he's saying here that Timothy is this guy, right? 
And what he's getting at here is he's saying, you should receive him exactly as you receive me. That you should uh, consider that he is the same as me. Uh, he, he says here, because Timothy is genuinely concerned for your welfare. He is looking with purity of heart upon the Philippians. He's, um, he's wanting to make sure that they are exhibiting the same care for one another. He wants to have this same perspective. But as you think about this, um, this is a drive that we want to have within the church. This is what Paul is calling the Philippians to have within the church, that you should look around at your fellow members of the body of Christ, and you want them to say, I want people to be genuinely concerned for others. I want them to have a, an equal soul. I want them to have this uh, one, one mind, one accord mindset, that we are striving side by side for the faith, that I know that when I'm working on something else, someone else is thinking about how we can be faithful, how we can minister together, right? This is, uh, this is one of the reasons why, um, you know, I'm calling upon you guys as we are sharing about uh, reopening and saying, hey, if you have ideas, <clears throat> if you have ideas that you think can lead to us being faithful, let's hear about them. It's not because I can't go get ideas other places. It's because maybe, maybe this is an opportunity for you to say, I want to have this same level of concern. I want to have you um, to have this same level of welfare and care for the community, care for other people to figure out what to do. I want to be informed. I want to figure it out. There's opportunities for us to do that in that practical level, but also as we talked about in week one, remember week one of the quarantine, that as we are scattered, we need to be taking care of each other. We need to be checking on each other. So you need to be concerned in that same way that you're looking across, uh, you know, uh, the screen and saying, oh, okay, hey, like, let's check in on this person. Let's see how they're doing. Let's make sure that they're being taken care of. Let's make sure that this person isn't isolated, right? We want to make sure that we are rising to that occasion uh, to minister to one another. And so this is an opportunity for us to have this uh, genuine concern for each other's welfare, right? And the, and the inverse of this is those who only care about themselves. They're only thinking about themselves. And Paul mentions some of those, and perhaps these are the people who have uh, he has said who preach from uh, preach Christ from rivalry or selfish ambition, uh, from envy, from their own perspective. Look at verse twenty-one. He says, "For they all seek their own interests, interests, not those of Jesus Christ." So he says Timothy is pursuing Christ. He's seeking your interests. He's concerned for your welfare. But there are those who only care about themselves. That they're only concerned about their own cause. They're not concerned about the cause of Christ. They're not concerned about seeing people grow in faith. They're not concerned about those who are isolated. They're not concerned. They just only care about themselves. doesn't bother me. It's not a big problem for me. I'm not going to worry about anybody else. But Paul says that Timothy, he's focused on meeting the needs of others. 
He's looking to see how he can be Christ-like. And so he goes on in verse 22 and he says, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. You know Timothy's proven worth. So Paul sends uh, Timothy to the church in Philippi because, one, the church has knowledge of Timothy. They're aware of him. He's not somebody who they're like, okay, well, who is this guy? We're not really super familiar with him. Paul says, I'm going to bring in somebody who you are familiar with. You know that he has been proven. You know that he has operated as a son, a son to me, and that he has served with me in the gospel. And so he says here, I want you to understand that he has demonstrated this faithfulness. I want you to see that he's demonstrated it before me. He's demonstrated it before you. He's demonstrated it before God, right? And it's that, it's that testing, that, that proving process uh, that brings about this reflection of godly character, uh, both for Paul, that he sees that Timothy has this godly character, the Philippians would see that he has this godly character, and then the world would see that he has this godly character. Right? This is a part of that testing, that proving process where uh, Timothy has gone through difficult experiences in life. He has gone through things that have been trials and tribulations in his life. Paul has watched this, and he has seen that this has worked in Timothy to uh, prove his character, right? And this is a time for us, as we are in this circumstance, in this situation, and uh, dealing with this uh, virus and being locked down, this is a time where it, it brings out all the stress points, all the crack, cracks uh, in, in our foundation, right? If we are building upon something other than Christ, this is something that could um, shake us. But if we're built upon the solid rock of Christ and we have a firm foundation that cannot be shaken. And so in, in the process, then when we build on Christ, then it works out to prove our character in through our experience of hardship and suffering and trials and tribulations in dealing with this, it brings out <clears throat> a more faithful character that would lead to us being more faithful, us knowing Christ more, us giving the possibility of more evangelistic opportunities, uh, and seeing how um, it gives us a hope for the future, that Christ has been faithful, that he's paved the way for us to endure that trial, to endure this time, and that he's given us an opportunity to look to that for future hardships. Kind of, Paul puts it this way uh, in Romans chapter 5, he says this, uh, through him, Christ, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, right? So there's this hope of the glory of God that God would be glorified. We have access here by faith, not our own works. Uh, it's his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in that. So we're there trusting in his work, trusting in what he's done. And the result and hope is that he would be glorified. Verse 3 of Romans 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, right? 
We rejoice in our sufferings, right? Here's that return to joy again. That's what that means. Returning to joy in our sufferings. When we're going through hardships, we're going through difficulties. We rejoice knowing that this produces within us an endurance. We're in the marathon. This isn't a sprint. We're going the distance, right? It produces in us endurance. And that endurance, as we go along, it builds our character. We begin to see Christ's faithfulness. We begin to see him holding us up on this journey. We begin to see him uh, working in us to change us and to transform us. We begin to see him uh, empowering us to run this race of faith. And when we see this, uh, when we see that endurance, it produces this character within us where we, where we recognize that. And as we recognize that character, then it cycles back to hope, right? God is then glorified in our lives, right? We're rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God that he was faithful. What he has done in the past is great, but then it also gives us the hope to look forward to the future that he will continue to be faithful because you're always in your in your in that race of faith you're always running 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 and there's always the past that he's helped you with that you've been that he's been faithful to but then there's always the future that you're running to that he will continue to push you forward and to empower you to and so you keep running 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 and so paul has said this has happened with timothy this is an opportunity for us in this time of quarantine to experience this and to walk forward in faith here and to trust that god's going to be with us in this journey but to know that this is producing in us endurance, and endurance is producing character, and character is producing hope, hope in the glory of God. Uh, Paul continues similarly in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, um, and he says this, By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from the confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. And so Paul says here that the evidence of this, of this character that comes forth is the continuation of this faithful service. Because uh, there has this, there's been this character that's been developed because there's hope, then you will continue to be faithful, that you will continue to serve the Lord with all that you have here. Right? They glorify God because of your submission that comes from the confession of the gospel of Christ, right? These things pour out even more so knowing what you have been saved from, knowing his faithfulness in your life. It propels you out into mission and propels you out to give God glory in all that you have. And this is what uh, Paul is saying uh, that he has experienced in Timothy's life. He says that Timothy has served as a son um, with a father. He served with me in the gospel. He has known him intimately. He's going to be able to trust Timothy's words. They're going to, uh, the Philippians are going to be able to trust Timothy's words that, that they're going to represent Paul. But he says more than that, Paul can trust him because they have served together in the work of the gospel. Timothy's, Timothy's faithfulness is demonstrated in the work of proclaiming the gospel um, to people. It's demonstrated in guiding the guiding the church to live out the implications of the gospel. And so he says, I know that Timothy is going to do a great job. I know that he's going to come alongside you and serve you, right? And this is a mark of humility, coming in and looking to meet the needs of others, to help them understand and interpret and bring out the implications of the gospel within the Philippian community. 
right? And this is what we're working on together as a church. How do we live out the gospel in this time? How do we prepare ourselves to live out the gospel when we get out of this um, quarantine time? But we want to be as faithful as we can be where we're at now. And that's what Paul's asking them to do. That's what Paul wants to do, right? This is why he says here in verse 23, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also, right? So he says here, look, I can't change the situation at the moment. I can't send Timothy at the moment. I want to send him, but you can start on the project today. You can do your job today. So when he comes and receives the report, I will be cheered by it. He, he can't go right now. I got to figure out what's happening here with me. I got to figure out if I can come to you. Everyone's going to stay in their own spot. We have hopes and dreams and what we want to see happen and what we want to have accomplished. But Paul says, for now, you got to work on serving faithfully where you're at today. What's in your, um, what is in your ability and range to do today? You've got to do that. Don't put that off for tomorrow. Do it today. And so he gives this example of uh, somebody he knows very well, uh, Timothy. But then he comes to his second example, uh, this man called Epaphroditus. And so he says this in verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. So here's what Paul says about Epaphroditus. Uh, what it, the, we have this letter from Paul to the Philippians. Epaphroditus was with Paul and probably the way that the letter got back to the Philippians is Epaphroditus probably was the person who carried this letter. And so uh, he says here, I'm going to send him to you as well. But he lays out these multiple descriptions for this guy called Epaphroditus. Uh, he gives them kind of five different descriptions here that you'll see. First, he says that Epaphroditus is my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, um, and then he also says he is your messenger and uh, someone who you sent to take care of my needs. So the first thing that he says here about this guy Epaphroditus is he's an example of the faith. Remember, this is what Paul's laying this out for. Uh, the, he's an example of faith because he's saying uh, he is somebody who, Timothy, we are equal soul, but Epaphroditus is my brother. He's laying out here that we are members of the household of faith together, that there should be a unity among God's people, that there is, uh, that they have affection for one another as members of the household of faith, and that they are close in that way. And so he says that he's a, a, a brother. He says that he is a fellow worker, that Paul says, he's been with me. He's been serving alongside me. He's, he's traveled with me. He's lived with me. He's served in the advancement of the gospel. He <clears throat> doubles down on saying, not only is he a worker, but he's a soldier. He has stood in, <clears throat> he has stood uh, his ground, that he has fought the battle alongside me. Uh, it, he has faced opposition. He's faced persecution and he has been battle tested. He is ready um, and this is how I can describe him as a fellow soldier. He's not just somebody who's kind of been untested, but has been in the heat of it. Uh, and then he goes on and puts this 
um, he describes Epaphroditus in these other two ways that are related to how uh, to his his work um, that he accomplished on behalf of the Philippians, because the way that Epaphroditus likely got to Paul was fulfilling this particular role, uh, right? He says that Epaphroditus is a messenger and a minister. He says he's their messenger and uh, their minister to his need. So he was probably sent by the church on a specific mission to take care of Paul's needs. And so he brings this message to Paul from the Philippians and Paul's writing in response to this message. But then also uh, he is ministering to Paul's need. Uh, he, Epaphroditus comes in and kind of acts as Paul's assistant um, for a period of time and takes care of these uh, specific needs that Paul has. He likely brought um, some, some resources to Paul, um, you know, uh, definitely brought, brought gifts and money from the church in Philippi uh, to take care of him and to meet his need. Um, things that, that came specifically from the, the Philippian church. Um, it, and so Paul says, he is from you. He is uh, accomplishing some of these things already, that he's your messenger and he's ministering to my need, right? So what Paul's doing here is both describing things that Epaphroditus has done, but he's also giving them like a little bit of like uh, breadcrumbs to say, hey guys, look, like this is the beginning of what you have done to be Christ-like. You have considered others more significant than yourself. You've realized that you could come and meet my need when you hear of my suffering. You've sent him. You've, uh, you've sent him out to meet my need to take care of me. And so he's kind of laying this out uh, in, this, in this real soft way to give them a, a little bit of a boost, a little bit of an encouragement to say, hey, you're, you're doing it. You're getting there. You're coming along. And so he says here, I've got this guy, Epaphroditus. Uh, I, I'm going to send him to you. Uh, he's my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, uh, your messenger and minister to my need. And he, the reason Paul's sending him here, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So he says, Epaphroditus loves you guys. He's anxious. He's excited to get home. He, he wants to get back there. Uh, and he heard that, that uh, or he wants to get back there because you heard that he was, he was sick, that he was ill. And so he, he is concerned that you guys are, uh, are worried about him and that you, he wants to get back there. And Paul even confirms this in verse 27. He says, indeed, he was ill, near to death, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So Paul says, yeah, it's true. He was sick. He was sick even to the point of coming near to death, right? But then he says, he didn't die. He didn't die, clearly, because he's sending him back. But Paul's making a greater theological note here. He's saying, he was near to death, period, but God, right? He's saying, it wasn't the opportunity for, it, this wasn't the moment for Epaphroditus to go and be with the Lord. It was, it was Epaphroditus experienced hardship. He experienced suffering. He was obedient to the point of death, but God stayed his hand. He said, no, it's not time for Epaphroditus to come home. I've got more work for Epaphroditus to do. It's God who is at work. Uh, it's God who has mercy 
on uh, Epaphroditus. That's what he says here. But God had mercy on him. Uh, and not only on him, but on on me also. Paul's like, I would have just been like totally distraught. I would have been so sad um, about this. But he does leave this in the hand of the Lord. And so he says he's experienced this hardship. He's gone through this illness. And yet I am more eager, verse 28, to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So he's like, I want to send him to you. Um, probably the expectation of the church when they sent Epaphroditus originally was like, okay, Epaphroditus, you're going to go and you're going to serve with Paul and you're just going to kind of be with him indefinitely. Like you're joining his team. You're a way that we can support what he's doing. Uh, we want you to go and be among him and, and to stay with him. And at least through the result of his imprisonment and his trial that he's going through right now, but Paul says, I'm going to send him home sooner than you probably realize. Um, that's why he says, I'm, I'm more eager to send him <clears throat> because I want you to rejoice at seeing him again. I want you to, 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 he's going to come to that place. He's going to take the things that he has learned uh, by being with me, by having joy in the midst of this hardship. And I want him to go and inject that joy into that community. Into, I want him to, to come and inspire you to see Jesus and to, to find contentment in your circumstance, to find contentment in Christ in that circumstance. Not just to say my circumstance is okay, but my circumstance is okay because Jesus is better, because Jesus is more satisfying, right? A lot of times when we, when we think about things and our circumstances, we just look at, we just become settled on it because it's just, it is what it is. And we're just like, okay, well, this is it, right? I guess this is fine, right? But the reason why it's fine is not because we have decided that we are okay with the outcome. As Christians, the reason why we should be content in circumstances of any kind, whether they appear to be joyous circumstances or whether they appear to be uh, circumstances that are bad, the reason why we should be content is not because we are okay with those circumstances or the outcome or we've decided to detach ourselves but rather because we have treasured christ in the midst of those circumstances because he we know that he will be faithful to minister to our need in those moments that he will help us to be content in those circumstances that we see him as more glorious and we see him as a greater treasure in contrast to our circumstances not that we have decided that we are the ones who are okay with our circumstances but that we have decided that christ is better than all, right? And that he is greater than all circumstances that we could experience. And so Paul wants him to send, send Epaphroditus back so that he can inspire them. He can lead them into worship in finding joy in Christ. And so he says here in verse 29, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life, to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now, first, <clears throat> Paul says, guys, it's time for you to get together and create a joyful return for this guy, Epaphroditus, right? There's a possibility that like they see uh, Epaphroditus come back with the letter, right? Because 
until the letter's read. It's like, what are you doing back here? Like, why are you here? We thought we sent you. You're being unfaithful. Why, like, why are you back here? Until the letter's read, they don't really know what's going on. And so Epaphroditus shows up with the letter. Hey, guys, here's the letter from Paul, blah, blah, blah. Right? But as he gets back there, there's a possibility for some misunderstanding about, like, why he's back. But Paul says, when he comes back, you should celebrate him. You should rejoice in his faithfulness. Honor him. Receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ. He's not just somebody who's just coming back, but he has been in the field working hard on your behalf. He's returning. And so bring, uh, you know, honor him for his faithfulness and, and, and how difficult his mission was. And so Paul says, receive him in the Lord. It's an opportunity for you to celebrate, for you to rejoice in God's faithfulness and his work. And he says here that uh, he nearly died for the work of Christ, right? He risked his life, right? He closes uh, this section, Paul closes this section by bringing uh, their attention to Christ-like character. He obeyed, he was sent out from you, he went to that mission, right? This is kind of like a, a, mini, uh, a mini Christ him here. You sent him out. He was obedient, even to the point of near death, but God had mercy on him. He sends him back. Now Paul's saying he has been faithful. Now I am sending him back to you. And I'm asking that you uh, rejoice in the Lord together with him, receive him in the Lord together. He nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life. Right? He's, he's kind of laying that out in a similar way. And so was saying, now it's time to have a celebration. Now it's time to, uh, to celebrate Christ's faithfulness and what he has done because he has risked his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now, when Paul is saying that, he's not saying, uh, not, he's, not, he's not coming to make a point here uh, that the Philippians, they just really dropped the ball. And like, you guys aren't doing a great job and you got... Uh, I'm really lacking in your serve in in your service. What he's saying here is that uh, Epaphroditus did exactly what you asked him to do. He carried out the mission. You weren't able all to come to me. You weren't able all to meet my needs. He's complimenting them and he's complimenting uh, Epaphroditus. He's saying that the presence of Epaphroditus in his life made up for their absence. What they could not do. Uh, Epaphroditus was able to do. He's not trying to get a dig in at them. He's trying to say, he did exactly the job. He was faithful. And so now it's time to come and to celebrate Christ's faithfulness, to celebrate uh, and to honor Epaphroditus for that faithfulness that Christ has done in his life and that he has completed that mission. And so the willingness here of Epaphroditus to risk his life to the point of death, it really, again, uh, circles back and points to that example of Christ. It points us back to having that same perspective, that same attitude that Christ had. And this is what uh, Paul's, calling, Paul, Paul's calling them to see in comparison. Here's a practical example. Now one who lives among you in Philippi. So if you're ever wondering, Philippians, how to live out, live out Philippians 
you know, chapter two, verses five through 11, to have the mind of Christ among you, where you consider others more significant than yourselves, and you uh, are obedient even to the point of death, even a death on the cross, right? When you're looking to see, like, how do we live that out? And you're walking around the city, you're like, okay, well, there goes Epaphroditus through the market. Oh, here's Timothy, who's encouraging us and calling us, like, his faithful son. You, like, literally have these people, you're like, oh, yeah, I got to be like that guy, right? And that guy's being like Jesus, right? It's, it's not that we're trying to be uh, like these uh, human men, but rather we're trying to, as Paul says, imitate him as he imitates Christ. The goal is not to be like Paul. The goal is to be like Christ. The goal is not to be like Epaphroditus or to be like Timothy, but to be like Christ. And that's what they would tell you. That's how they're operating. And this is what he's getting at here in, in the text this morning, that this is the goal for all Christians, that we have to look at the scriptures, that we have to look at the text, that we have to look at the examples and say, I want to be like that person because they're like Jesus, right? They are like Jesus. And this is the, this is the goal for all of us. And we want, uh, and as I said, this is how we want to be as a church collectively. So that way, when the world looks at us, our particular church here in Berkeley, they say, we want to be like them. They're considerate. They're kind. They're loving. We, they're like Jesus, right? We want that to be said of us because we want people to not join our club. We want them to join Jesus's church. Our club is lame. Jesus is better, right? So we're not looking to have people join our group. We're looking for them to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus. This is our goal. This is our focus. But it starts with us working on our own personal walk with Christ, us pursuing Jesus individually so that way the group can be seen to be pursuing Jesus collectively so that way the watching world can see Christ high and lifted up. And he said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself, right? And so today is the day where we continue to build on that firm foundation that is Christ, right? Uh, There's no other foundation that we're building on other than Christ and Christ alone, all right? So that's where we're going in our text this morning. We got these two men who are examples. You can look to them as examples, but we should seek to be inspiring one another to be faithful in, um, in our walk with Christ, to be inspiring uh, each other to be like Christ, to looking around and say, I want to I wanna encourage one another. I want to make sure that no one's in isolation. I want to be checking in on each other. I want to be considering others, right? So, so, so plenty of opportunities for, for us to exercise this, even now during this time, right? So let's get to work today, pursue Christ together, and uh, let's respond in worship. Lord, we are thankful for your loving kindness towards us. We're thankful that you have given us these practical examples, um, which I can so appreciate because it's, it's nice to see how other people are obeying you and how Paul lays this out so that we can um, see what it is to, uh, to make these attempts. And we're thankful, Lord, that even in our attempts to do this, even in our attempts to, to walk with you, um, Lord, even in our failings, you are glorified. You know our hearts, you know our motives, and you know that we're even going to just, we're going to do it wrong. And so, Lord, take our, our half-hearted attempts, take our, our, our weakness, take our um, short-sighted pursuit of you, um, and, and use those, um, spark those into um, true desire, true uh, pursuit. Lord, help us to pursue you more faithfully. Um, each and every day, not because we 
are decided deciding that we are are stronger and that we are more powerful now we have the willpower to do it but because we're we're catching a, a greater glimpse of you each and every day that we're seeing like uh, seeing you from a new perspective that we're growing in faith little by little and so lord um help us uh to live this out and um, be glorified in your church or we want to respond and worship now we love you amen